Well, good morning, everyone. And good morning to those of you uh, online. And uh, it is just a joy and an honor to be here with you guys. Um, about three years ago, the Lord rocked our worlds and uh, transitioned us from the pastorate to the leadership of, of Life Action Ministries. And uh, I never dreamed this would happen. I, uh, I pastored uh, since I was 19 years old. And, uh, and suddenly the Lord invited us to really have an itinerant ministry. I, uh, I'm up here about a week a month. Uh, I travel about 200 days a year. Um, it, of course, there were a few months there where I didn't travel at all. Nobody did. But um, I'm back on the road now. And, uh, and, and I got to tell you, these are very, very strange times. Um, strange times that uh, in which I'm able to see what is happening across the, um, the country, um, to see the good, the bad, and the ugly in our nation, in the church in America. And I want to echo um, what Pastor Norm just said. We are in desperate need of revival. And I want to thank you for uh, supporting Life Action over the years. I believe we were here uh, with you, I think, in uh, late spring of 2019. Boy, a lot has changed in a year, hasn't it? In a year, to, a year and, a, and a half. Um, I appreciate so much the, the work of the missionary church. I also uh, spoke last summer at Prairie Camp. Did I meet any of you at Prairie Camp when I, when I spoke? Raise your, um, no? Didn't meet any of you there last, last summer? That was the hottest time I have ever preached in my life. <laughs> it was so hot, and yet I enjoyed it so much being with, uh, with the dear people there. And I want to thank you for having me um, here with you today. When you think of Life Action, pray for us. Uh, it has been so challenging. If you know anything about us, we take teams into churches as we did into yours and into schools. We were supposed to be at Bethel University coming up, but had to, that's had to be postponed. Uh, and we, we help people take a holy pause and say, we're going we're gonna to stop. We're going to hear God. We're going to ask him to revive us. And so right now we have three teams made up of predominantly gap year missionaries, college-age students who are in churches across America today, right now. Can you imagine how challenging that is in a day of COVID? And we have worked hard to do it as safely as we can. Um, but, but you know what's interesting about safety? Safety is a good priority, but it can't be our first one. In fact, if safety is our first priority, we cannot follow Jesus. It's not possible. And that may sound like a controversial statement. It, it, it's not unless... And, and, unless you have a problem with what Jesus said, because he said we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And there's no safe crosses in the world. And so at Life Action, we're doing everything we can to keep people safe, but we've got a ministry. Jesus is coming back. We think it's real, real soon, guys, real soon. And so we're getting ready for it, and we're, we're sharing with everyone we can, with lives and families and churches and schools, and saying this is the time where we must see revival in our day. It is our only hope. Um, pretty serious message today, but let me, uh, let me be a little light to start. Uh, I, I, have, I have six amazing grandchildren. My oldest grandson is, uh, uh, is seven years old, and a couple of years ago when he was five, he's a very smart young man, he, he decided he wanted to understand astronomy. Now he's five years old, he started studying the planets, and he ended up knowing more about the planets than I do. And so I'd quiz him. I'd say, what do you know about Jupiter? And he'd say, it's got a big wet spot and it has big storms on it. 
I said, it doesn't have storms. It doesn't even have an atmosphere. He says, it does too have storms, Papa John. I researched it, and yeah, it's got big storms. So, uh, so he knows more about the planets than me. So one day he went through all the planets with me, and, and I said, wait a minute, you missed one. He said, I did not. I said, yes, you did. You missed Earth. I said, Earth is a planet. And he goes, Papa John, Earth is where I, I live with my mommy and daddy and where I keep all my stuff. I thought, well, that's a good definition of earth. <laughs> but, so I'm kind of chuckling over that, but then he really got me. He said, with all seriousness, Papa John, I've been meaning to ask you, which planet are you from? <laughs> and I've thought about that uh, over the last six months or so, and I'm not sure anymore. I don't really recognize this one. And what's really scary is I don't recognize the church in this country anymore. We're in the days of the greatest spiritual awakening in the history of the world. I'm convinced of that. I've spent a lot of my time in missions. When I was a pastor for all those years, I told every church, if a church was talking to me, I said, listen, you need to understand, you're probably not going to like me. Don't call me as your pastor because I'm a missionary. It's really all I care about. I, I, I don't think we're meant to sit around and say, how is our church supposed to make me enjoy it? How is our church supposed to make me feel good? How is it, do I like the music? Do I like the preaching? Where in the New Testament have we ever even once read about people saying, oh, I choose this church because I liked it and it met my needs? That is an anti-Christian position. And I told every church I ever served, I said, listen, if you want me as your pastor, I'm going to ask us to get outside of ourselves and to say, it's not about me. It doesn't matter what I like. It doesn't matter it at all. And in fact, my wife and I, we, we had a choice recently uh, in the last three years of what church to join. Um, we our, our home technically is in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I pastored uh, a wonderful church that sent us out as, as missionaries when I came to lead Life Action. I only need to be up here about a week a month. I've got a vice president that leads here in the office. So I'm here this week, for instance, and I'm back on the road. So we said, well, we'll keep our, our house there. It's easier and cheaper to just stay um, to just stay there. But we needed to join a church. I, I didn't feel comfortable staying in the church where I'd been pastor. And so we looked around and we chose a church where, if I'm being real frank, we don't, we don't really like, like it very much. I mean, the, the music's kind of weird to us. Um, the style is really different. I would never pastor in a lot of the ways that the pastor there pastors. So why in the world would you join a church like that? Because I've never seen more lost people coming to Jesus in one church than that one. Never. I've told my grandchildren, I've said, look, the older I get, the less I want to like my church. Because I don't want it to be about me. I, I want the church I'm in to go get your generation. I want the church I'm in to go get my grandchildren's generation. I don't want to see my grandchildren's generation go to hell. So we joined a church where every Sunday we see people coming to Jesus like crazy. I told the pastor once, I said, am I in church or a biker convention? I said, I come in here, and there's the strangest folks, everybody, and it's diverse people of every race, and people that just look like they just wandered out of a biker convention, and they're just coming to Jesus left and right, and I could care less whether I like the music or the preaching or anything else. Here's what I know. They believe Jesus. They believe the scriptures, every word of it. They proclaim it. They disciple people, lead them to Jesus, disciple them, and they're just getting ready for Jesus to come. I want to be a part of that. Do you? Do you want to be a part of that? Most churches in America really do not. 
I preach all over this country and I tell churches, stop praying for revival. Really, most churches need to stop. You know, in Isaiah 1, the Lord told the people of God to stop praying. He said, until you're ready to repent, just stop it. I don't want you to pray for revival until you really want it. Revival doesn't make the church something we like more. Revival may make this church something you personally like less. When you're praying for revival, you're praying for God to do something that so rocks this church that people that might have never thought about coming in the doors can't be kept out of here. If you're going to pray for revival, know what you're praying for. You're not praying for the good old days. You're not praying for the church to be like it used to be. You're not praying for any of that. I'm going to talk to you today about what you're really praying for. But the title of this message is, Are You Ready for Revival? Are you ready for revival? You know, the Lord has never really revived a church before. No, he, he revives a person. You say, well, wait a minute. Of course the Lord revives churches. We say that. What we mean is, when we say a church is in revival, what we mean is enough people in that church experienced revival that we say that church is in revival. By the way, I've never seen a, a church where everybody experienced revival. Maybe there's one somewhere, but we were a part of a great revival movement in Texas 25 years ago, and we had a, we had a corner. There's nobody in that corner, I'm glad, because I, I always feel bad. It was, it was that corner way back there. We called it the grouchy corner. We're, we were in a city-changing revival that swept over 100 college campuses. I've got a book out here about it if you want to read, read about it. And it, it. It swept across the country, but we had a group of folks that sat in the corner back there like this, mad every week, because the church had changed so much and they didn't like it anymore. People were coming to Jesus left and right. The church was filling up. The city was changing. People were mad. The church wasn't what it used to be. Are you ready for revival? You want to take the challenge Pastor Norm said? You're in a transition time. You need, you need revival. Then draw a circle around yourself today, right now. Just say to the Lord right now, okay, Lord, I'm drawing a circle around myself. I don't want to come out of here, out of this circle, until you revive me. Me. Not somebody else. Don't think about somebody else. You're hoping experiences revival during this time of transition. You. Have you noticed that everybody knows in our country today what everybody else should do? If you go online, I don't even want to do it anymore. Everybody's yelling at everybody else. Everybody's mad. You know what I would love to see somebody say? I'd love to see somebody say on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is new these days that my kids are and grandkids are using. I'd love to see somebody go, hey, I just want everybody to know that I'm the problem. <laughs> Our country's in a real mess and it's me. I, I'm the problem. Pray for me. I'm asking God to do something in me because I'm the problem. It's not those folks out there. I'm the problem. And shouldn't that be the position we have as the church of Jesus Christ? We're expecting the government to, to rescue us and save us. How's that been working out for us? The only plan God has ever had to change a nation or a world is his church. And if we're not revived, how is it going to happen? And, and God doesn't snap his fingers and revive a church. All over the world, awakening is spreading. Greatest awakening in the history of the world. The problem is you got to get on an airplane to see it. You know where it's happening? You know where the church is growing the fastest in the world today? Anybody have a guess? What country would you think the church is growing the fastest of anywhere else in the world? Anybody got a guess? China's a good guess. I believe that's third. 
Iran. Somebody got it. The fastest growing part of our faith in the world today is in Iran. There were virtually no believers there, not just a, just a few decades ago. None. I mean, maybe a hundred in the whole country. Now there's over a million. Some people think far, far more than that. Mosques are emptying out. Underground churches are spreading like wildfire. You know what the number two country is? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. I've been on the, on, on the, the border of Afghanistan where the very first church ever, ever in that country was founded and watched God moving in power among people who might have killed us a few years before. God is working all around the world. But you know what he's saying? He said, I just don't like America much. These American Christians, I just don't like you. So I'm going to leave you out. Do you think that's our God? No. No, but he's looking for one who will draw that circle. I mean, revival is precious to God. He doesn't just entrust it to anybody. He's entrusting it to Iranians and Afghanis and Chinese and, and, and people all over the world. You know why? Because they're saying, Lord, if I must die, I'll die, but I'm not going to live without you. I'm not going to live without revival. I don't need my way. I don't need to like anything. I want to follow you. You are my king. I want to serve you and follow you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love each other. I'm going to love the lost. Come on, Lord, let's go. He's looking for you. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, the Lord said he was looking for somebody, anybody that might stand in the gap for the land. He said he couldn't find anybody. We may be getting close to that point in this country. Are you ready for revival? Will you draw the circle around yourself and say, Lord, I don't want to miss this. Revival is precious to God. When I had daughters growing up, I had good-looking daughters, and these young men had come to my door. Oh, man. They did, they, it was dangerous for these young men to come to my door to meet my daughter. <laughs> One who married my middle daughter, the first time he came over, I took him downstairs. I'm a bow hunter. I took him downstairs, and I, I showed him the deer on the wall. I said, son, let me explain something to you. You hurt my daughter. I'm going to put your head right by that big boy right there. <laughs> He's in ministry today, but he said, he tells me all the time, Dad, I was never more scared in my life than that moment right there. Now imagine if somebody had knocked on the door to come take my daughter out in a car by herself with him. And he, and he shows up and he's got a beer in one hand and a joint in the other, you know. He's got shabby old clothing on, his hair's going everywhere. And he goes, hey, daddy, I'm here to get your daughter. Oh, he's going to get something all right. <laughs> he's going to get something all right. He ain't getting my daughter. Why? Because my daughter's precious to me. God's not going to hand revival off. To those who he knows are not ready for it or worthy of it. Are you ready for revival? One word can take us there. One word can take us. I can't make revival come. At Life Action, we just, we just try to inspire you to say yes to God. He's the only one that can do it. But one word can prepare you for revival. And you know what that one word is? One is the word. The one word that will prepare you for revival is one. Open your Bible to John chapter 17, verse 20. I, when, I, when I need to know what really, really matters in a time like this, I, I don't, I don't want to read, go to Fox News or, or CNN or my own thinking or somebody's opinion. I want to know what, what Jesus says. And in John chapter 17, 
Jesus makes it really clear what matters most right now. In this passage, he's praying for you and me personally. How do we know that? Well, let me read it to you. Jesus says to his father, this is at the, the, the Lord's Supper, he's at the Passover meal, He's about to die for us. He says, I do not ask for these only, for his his friends, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, that would be us, right? We, We all believed in Jesus through the word that God gave through them. What does he pray for us? That they may all be one. There's the word. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one there, even as we are one, there it is again, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me. may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Powerful. This is the prayer of Jesus for us. And you know what he did after he prayed that prayer? After he prayed that prayer, he left that place and he went into quarantine. He went into the isolation of Gethsemane He didn't want to be quarantined alone, alone with only sin and Satan. He asked his friends, would you stay with me? Would you you pray with me? Would you stay awake with me? Sure, oh yeah, yeah. Just like the church in America today. So he isolated alone and he battled with our foe. And then he left that place to die wearing a corona. Remember we call it the coronavirus because it looks like a what? A crown. And he wore our crown and he took our sin and he died our death and then he rose again to give us true life and true love. And before he did all of that, the last thing he did was to pray for you and to pray for me. Now, we can be the answer to that prayer or not. We can be the answer to that prayer or we can explain to the Lord why we're not. Our choice. Our choice. He chooses us and now he's allowing us to choose. There's three choices he gives us right here and if we make them, I believe we'll be ready for revival. Let's let's see what they are and they all revolve around this one word one. Here's choice number number 1. Live as one with each other. Live as one with each other. In verse 21, He uses the word for the first time, one. He wants us to be one. That's his prayer. He uses it twice more in verse 22. In verse 23, he says, I want them, Father, to be perfectly one, maturely one. Now, I think sometimes the Lord is thinking about me. I think he was thinking about me when he gave the scripture. I think think he may have been thinking, you know, I'm going to have this preacher named John, and man, he's pretty thick-headed, and he needs to hear things sometimes, not once, but twice, three, maybe four, maybe a lot of times, so he really understands how important something is to me, so he'll actually preach it. 
And I, I, I think the Lord gave me this passage in this way to help me, this, for him to whisper to me and say, say, son, my people need to know that I desire for them to be one. So I'm going to tell you once, twice, three times, four times, I'm going to make it as crystal clear as I perfectly can, and then you tell them, and then they get to choose whether to explain to me why they're not one. Well, because uh, somebody else is more wrong than me, or somebody did this to me, somebody hurt my feelings, somebody did this in, in the church. Let them explain that to me, son. But you tell them what I'm praying. And if they want to make the excuses, let them make it to me. But I want them to be one. This is the prayer of Jesus. It's a big deal to him. You know know why this is so important right now? Perhaps more than any time in any of our lifetimes. Because I, I would make the argument that something has happened in our country that may have never happened before, at least since the Civil War. And here it is. There is nothing that unites America anymore. I would challenge you to internally debate that statement. In fact, go out of here, debate it, and email me. I'll be right back there at the book table afterwards. Email me and tell me what unites America. Because I'm trying to figure it out. No one in this nation knows how to be one anymore. The knowledge has gone away. There was a time when we knew how to be one. We, the great generation fought a war on two fronts against imperial Japan and against Nazism. Either loss would have wrecked the world and we united behind it. You know, right now, I think if Russia and China decided to invade us, still wouldn't unite us. We'd have a significant percentage of our population that, that would say, hey, maybe this will be better than what we've had. Nothing. Nothing unites us. There is one group of people on the face of the earth that have supernatural power to be one, and that is the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, and we've thrown it out. We've thrown it out all over the country today. We are in a crisis. Let me tell you, the church in America is in a new reformation. We have not decided yet what we will reform into. We're trying real hard to reform into what we were. Well, what we were was killing us. Was killing us. We were already in steep decline. We'd already left behind mission. We were already insulated and all about self. And and then comes coronavirus. And and the best that read the post quarantine church by Tom Rayner, probably the best Christian researcher of our day. He's saying twenty, maybe thirty percent of of, pe- of people who were active before coronavirus, they're never coming back. They they've thought, you know what, church really wasn't that big of a deal to me. I'm I'm never coming back. And that's just from coronavirus. We were already in steep decline. There are many, many, many churches of all sizes across this country who are not going to exist anymore. I'm talking about large churches. Imagine you're a church like one church I know that was running 4,000 and now they're running about 800. They just built a giant new building and they can't pay for it anymore. They're wondering if the city might buy their facilities. They had 4,000 people and it's possible they will not exist. Most churches in this country under 100 are likely not going to exist unless, unless, unless revival comes, unless the new reformation in the church in America reforms us into something that looks very different than what we were before. 
into a church that says, we are going to begin by looking like Acts 2 and Acts 4, where they were so united one with another that the lost world didn't understand it. They wanted to see what it was about. They'd sell everything they had and give it to one another, for goodness sakes. They were one with each other. And it's our only hope if we want revival to come. I want to show you a video. Um, when coronavirus hit, I, I, I'm just going to be real. I was, not a, uh, I was not very understanding of the way that our government responded. Sometimes I, I, I'm still not. My brother's an ICU doctor, and he, 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 was, he was convinced that this, and he is still convinced that we have not responded right and should have been more like Sweden and just let, um, let it take its course and protect vulnerable people but not shut down the economies. And I became pretty mad. I'm sitting in my house thinking, I, I am a missionary. I am not sitting in this basement anymore. If I die, I die. I got, I got kind of angry. I wasn't a, a lot of fun to be around. And when these things started coming out, man, I'm just, I'm just like, forget this. We are followers of Jesus. I am ready to serve, ready to follow him. And my brother and I, as we began to talk, we, began, we both became just kind of angry. One day my brother's pastor, he's brother, my brother's a leader, a doctor, and then a leader in his uh, church in Greenville, South Carolina. And he found out his pastor disagreed with him a little bit. His pastor had put something online asking people to wear masks to church. My brother could not believe what happened next because that week people went online and just absolutely excoriated each other. Just, just attacking each other, brutally, verbally assaulting each other over a piece of cloth. Huh. Like we needed something else to fight about. My brother began to soften. He and I began to talk more. He would never ever harm his pastor, so he wanted to help Next Sunday, after going through a week of social media destruction, his pastor spoke to the church. My brother sent me the video. I asked the pastor if he minded if I shared a clip of this with churches across America, because I think it's one of the strongest examples of leadership I've ever seen from a pastor. And it changed my heart. I take this everywhere I go now. Do I, do I think it's tremendously important? You know what the answer to that is? It doesn't matter. I want to win people, not arguments. I want to care for people and what they think and feel and their fears and anxieties, not my own opinions. Whether it's about a mask or anything else, we must be one. That's what Jesus said. Watch the video. And I want to plead with you as your pastor to invite the Holy Spirit into what you post in social media and your comments in social media. Some of you are losing your voice when it comes to being able to share the gospel because what's coming out of your mouth in social media posts and comments is all about your personal political opinions said in hateful, polarizing ways. A follower of Jesus is supposed to be more concerned about advancing the gospel than advancing political agendas and personal opinions. I'm not saying you can't have political views and personal opinions. I'm just saying you're throwing your testimony away 
on social media to where people aren't going to listen to you. If you want to do that on your own Facebook page, that's, that's one thing. But don't come into our living room at Fellowship Greenville and post that garbage. Now, what I'm going to read to you, this comment that someone made, caused me to cry and be sick at my stomach. In the midst of all those divisive comments on Friday and Saturday till we turned them off, here's what one person who's rejected Christianity wrote. Nice to see you Jesus followers are listening to the leadership of your church that you attend. Nothing makes me more interested in your version of God than to see this kind of division over something as small as wearing a mask to church to protect people who are immune deficient or have underlying conditions which have proven to lead to higher risk of infection. You are making a great case study of why people are fleeing the church in record numbers. You claim to know God, but you can't even listen to the biblical authority you have placed in your life. You people are the reason I stay away from church. I don't know who you are, and I don't know if you are listening in. I don't know if you'll ever hear this, but I want to say to you, I am so sorry. I am sorry. I'm sorry that your past experience in the church led you to reject Christianity. And I am so very sorry that your present experience with our church has only added fuel to the flames of your unbelief. And I'm asking you to forgive us. We failed you. We failed our Savior. We failed to follow him by putting his love on display. And I am very, very sorry. If your view on wearing masks or not wearing masks is so important that you do not care about a person like this, don't bother coming to church. It's really not going to do you any good. Well, it's not this. That's not the issue. It's anything, anything that causes you not to be one with your brothers and sisters. And in a time of transition, I led three large transitional churches as pastor. I would plead with you. I know nothing really about your transition. I would just plead with you because I do know this. Forgive and be forgiven or there's no transition that's going to matter. And this is hard. It's hard. We don't, we don't agree on everything. There's no way we agree on everything. They didn't in the New Testament, by the way. Read 1 Corinthians. They fought, did crazy things to each other. The only way we're going to do this, the only way we're going to live as one with each other is if you live as one with Jesus. That's, that's the second choice. You live as one with Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen if we did? Can you imagine what would happen if the world looked at us instead of going, look at those crazy Christians? Man, 
Their schools are led by hypocrites and, and they fight all the time with each other and, and, and they don't even want to be together themselves. Why would any of us want to be a part of it? Imagine if instead they looked and they saw a people that set the course and the example for a whole nation and how to be one even when we disagree. Well, what if we did it across racial lines? We, well, again, nobody knows how to do this. Nothing unifies us anymore. We can be the change in this country again. But it only comes through revival, and revival is only going to come when you draw that circle around yourself. And you live as one with Jesus. You know, in verse 21, Jesus said, Father, I want them to be in us. The, the son says to the father, I want those folks living 2,000 years from now, I want them to be one with the father and the son. In verse 23, he says, I want to be in them. And in verse 24, he says, I, I, I want them to be where I am. Now, he was on the earth when he said it. He wasn't talking about heaven. He said, I want, I want them to go where I go and do what I do. Say what I say. Think the way that I think. So make this real practical. You want to be one with Jesus in this day where in this church it is so crucial. It cannot be overestimated how crucial it is for each one of you and those of you watching online to be one with each other. And the only way that happens is if you truly are one with Jesus, you want to do that. Try this. I, it, it's practical for me. Every morning I wake up, did it this morning. I do it in the shower just so I don't forget. Do it, do it wherever you want. But say this, Lord, today, I, I, can't, I can't do this on my own. I'm too dumb and sinful to do this on my own. I'm asking you, Lord, to help me go where you go and say what you say and do what you do. It is amazing how the power of the Spirit of God in you will change where you go and what you say and how you live if you'll ask him that every single day day. You'll be walking around. You'll see something that makes you mad about the church or somebody in the church, and you'll stop, and you'll hear the Lord say, wait a minute, now that's my son, that's my daughter that you're thinking about. You may not agree. You may not like something they said or they did. That's my son and my daughter. Be careful. Be careful. How much do you want to be forgiven? A little? Forgive a little. That's Jesus' words, by the way. You want to be one with each other? It's not going to happen until you're one with Jesus. That's your second choice. And those two choices lead to the third choice. And the third choice is the ultimate answer to the mess of the church in this country, the ultimate answer to how we can not miss out on the great awakening that's happening overseas. By the way, you think coronavirus has stopped the awakening in Iran? They love masks. You know that? I've got great connections to what God's continuing to do there. When the government said that they were to stay at home and not do anything, they said, yeah, right. <laughs> Government's been telling us that all the time. You know, every single time an Iranian Christian worships, with or without coronavirus, he risks his life, his children, his family, his friends, everything. They risk everything. They still worship because Jesus is their life. But they love these things. You know why? Because they just put them on and the government can't recognize them anymore. And they go out to share the gospel and minister to people everywhere they go. They love these things. And here, we never, never even would dream to think that way. Here is the ultimate choice. If we're going to be one with each other and one with Jesus, then you live on one mission. 
You live on one mission. We sang about it earlier, and I'm sitting there going, Lord, I don't know. I don't know this church. I know that most churches shouldn't sing that song because they'll be lying. That, you know, the only thing we care about is, is the unreached world and the, and, and, and the people that haven't heard yet and, and the voices that, that are crying out for God. Do we really, really believe that? Because I want to tell you, that's the message of Jesus. That's the mission of Jesus. Let me ask you a question to consider. Why does God send revival? You ever think about that? If, if he were to send revival, why would he send it to you? And if enough people in this church experienced revival, you drew that circle around yourself, and God changed you so utterly, and it spread, that people were going, hey, that, that Beulah church, they're in revival. Why would God do such a thing? To help you feel better, be happier? I, you know, that doesn't really seem to be a big priority in Scripture, does it? Just to make us happier. Jesus told us why he would revive us. In verse 21 and verse 23, here's what he says. He said, I'm praying all these things, that they'll be one, one with each other and one with me. I'm praying it so that, he says, so that the world will believe and the world will know. In other words, he said, I'm going to bring revival to my people from time to time so that revival becomes the evidence of the gospel. Again, nobody else in the country knows how to be unified. We have the power to do it. But the only way it'll happen is if we're one with each other because we're one with him and we've chosen to be on one mission, one mission, one mission, one mission, one mission. You say, well, he not say one mission again? Can he just stop that? No. One mission, one mission, one mission. As you go through trans transition, this is your big question. I'm working in the church in Dallas right now. Maybe it's something like what Norm will be doing here. And I, I'm, I'm saying to them, you, you want to survive now? You're post-coronavirus. You're in danger of not survive. You want to survive? Then go back to Acts 2 and Acts 4 and say, if we were going to start this church all over again, how would we do it to look like this? I said, then prepare for a lot more of your people to leave. Because those that just want to be what they used to be, they're going to leave. But you have a chance. You get one shot now, post-coronavirus, I think, to restart. You've reopened. It's not a big deal. Restart. Become the mission of Jesus. Remember what he said? The Son of Man has come to hang around in a church building and sing the songs he likes. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not in there. He says the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Luke chapter 19, 10. That's the mission statement of Jesus. Will you join him on that mission? You know how Jesus did it? You know how Jesus won so many people to himself? He did astonishing works of love and mercy and justice everywhere he went. While his disciples are running off for food, he's talking to a Samaritan woman at a well that nobody else would talk to. When his disciples are saying, oh, don't bother the master. He's going, no, no, hang on. And he's going to touch lepers and to heal blind people. Astonishing works of love and justice. I want to challenge you during a time of transition to say, Lord, how do we, forget about what happens in the building. How do we, how do we do astonishing works of love and justice? And as we do it, share the gospel everywhere we go. A lot of talk about justice these days. And there should be, by the way. You know, some of the news stations, are, are, are talk, justice, justice, it's a, a, a liberal term. Well, I, that's really strange because it's all over scripture. So if we let people steal it from us, that's our problem. Jesus did astonishing works of justice. But talking about justice doesn't matter. In Micah, Chapter 6, verse 8, the Lord says, here's what is required of you. Boy, I want to know the answer to that. He says, do justice. 
Don't talk about it. Do it. Do the right thing. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. And if you want to know what justice is, don't look to the world for the answers. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 5 says evil people, that's everybody without Jesus, and sometimes those of us that know him act evil. He said evil people don't understand justice, but those who know the Lord understand it completely. So open up the scriptures, look at the things Jesus did, and go do that. Go do that. So what is your one mission? I'll summarize it for you. and You'll have to ask the Lord to show you how to do it. It's the great commission through the great commandment. That's it. That's your one mission. You want to make disciples of everybody you can through loving your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's your mission. It's anything else, you know, what your bylaws are or who makes decisions or how committees work or what music you use or in any of that, that is what will lead you straight to destruction. Because it's already been doing it throughout the church in America. I think it's why life action exists. We go in and say some of these hard things that are hard to hear and sometimes can't be said. And we just say them. And we say, now, look, you go to the scriptures yourself. You read John 17. You see what Jesus said. And you decide whether that's true or not. And then you get to make a choice. And the choices you make will largely determine what's happening in this building 10 years from now. Because don't ever underestimate, every church has a shelf life. You, how many of you like the book of Ephesians? You love that book? It's one of my favorite books. I wrote a whole book about Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 out here. Any of you been to Ephesus? A few of you been to Ephesus, great. Did you go to church there when you were there? No, you didn't because it's gone. The Bible church does not exist anymore. And don't think that this church cannot go away. There's a shelf life on churches and you're deciding now whether to be a church or a place where a few people meet sometimes. A church goes on mission with Jesus. That's the one mission. Do the gospel with him. Do it with him. Go and love and do justice and share Jesus every single place you go. And that's the hope that is before us. It's the only one. You are chosen to live in these days. And you can choose what to do with it. This revival that's sweeping around the world, it's um, sweeping during a time of pandemic. That's not new. The fastest times of growth in the history of our church throughout history have been in global pandemics. You know, most Christians have no idea of that. You don't have to take my word for it. Research the Justinian plague and the, in the uh, uh, about 150, research the a plague of Cyprian, it's often called, about 100 years later. Uh, by the way, these put the coronavirus to shame. The Cyprian plague, which I've studied intensely and been to the places where it happened, um, 5,000 people a day were dying in the Roman Empire, 5,000 a day in Rome itself. It's unbelievable, death and destruction. Looks like it might have been a cross between smallpox and Ebola. Nobody knows what it was. Some virus we hope never returns. And the church grew like wildfire. You know why? Because the Romans would abandon their children in the gutters and flee. And the Christians would go into the gutters and the sewers and would take those children to themselves and love them and adopt them. And the Lord supernaturally healed many of them. And the Romans would come back a year later and find their children alive and well in a Christian home. What would you do? They flocked to Jesus. 
The pastor of, in North Africa, Dionysius, declared a festival. He said, this is a time for festival. He said, only Christians do this. We declare festival everywhere where people are dying. We declare festival. We celebrate. Why? Because now, finally, they can see what the difference Jesus makes in us. And they served, and they loved, and they shared the gospel. And because of that, Christianity didn't die out a sect, a Jewish sect in Rome. Because of it, you heard one day and you're going to heaven if you know Jesus. This is no time to back up. This is no time to sit around and wait for the old normal to come back. This is the time for revival in the church. And that revival starts in the circle that's drawn around yourself. Year before last, a a couple in Iran was able to escape. And they had come to know Jesus during the great revival there, and they came to America. They couldn't wait. They were able to get from Europe to America, and they were free. And this couple decided all they wanted to do was worship because no one was stopping them for the first time in their young Christian lives. And they went to every church they could find. They went to Bible studies, worship services, everything they could find. And after two months' time, the woman turned to her husband, the Iranian Christian woman turned to her husband, and she said this. She said, the Christians in this country are sleepy. She said, I'm getting sleepy. She said, it's like there's a demonic lullaby playing here. She said, let's go home. And that couple willingly returned to persecution and potential death because they would rather die watching Jesus bring revival than live in sleepy American Christianity. To me, that is the strongest call to the church in this country to revival that I've ever heard. We have slow danced way too long to the demonic lullaby. Now we get to decide on a new song. We're going to sing one. It'll be a funeral song of the church in America. Could be the funeral song of Beulah Missionary Church. Or, or it's going to be the song of revival. We already know what Jesus wants. He prayed it for us. But he could have prayed anything, right? He could have prayed that we had all of our doctrines straight. I'm sure he wants that, but that's not what he prayed. He, 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 he could have prayed that we had our, uh, we, we, everybody was straight on all their sin and all, and he didn't pray that. Could have. What he did pray was that we would be one with each other and with him and on his one mission to the world. And if that becomes our song, then I believe we will see revival. And in a few years, I'd love to come back. And I'd love to see what God will do with a group of people who draw that circle around themselves and say, Lord, not coming out until you revive me. Stand it with me if you would. Uh, we're going to sing just for a moment and I know I preached a long time today. Thank you for being patient with me. I, I, from, in most churches, I get one shot at this. 
And I believe these days are so absolutely crucial. I want to do everything I possibly can to help a church say, we want revival and to help each person draw that circle around themselves. So as the music begins to play in just a moment, these good folks behind me are going to sing. This is just your chance to respond to what God has said. What's he saying to you right now? Have you drawn that circle around yourself? Will you? Maybe you need to come pray. There's an altar here to do that. Stay where you are. I don't care. Do what God tells you to do. But in this moment, in this moment, the one thing, the one thing that I believe God asks you to do is to draw that circle around yourself. Don't worry about anybody else and say, Lord, revive me. Let it be me, Lord, that you find ready for revival. Now, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that in these few moments remaining to us of response, that you would work and move powerfully in the lives of people here in this place and bring even one today into the beginning of revival and then one more and one more and one more. That is our hope and that is our prayer in Jesus' name.